book of Acts. We've been spending lots of time there lately. A little more time today. Acts chapter 8. Today is a very important sermon as we continue our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to be talking about the concept of being led by the Spirit. This is incredibly important because it's a wonderful gift to us that God would lead us by his Spirit. And and it is a tremendous need in us that we must be led by the Spirit for faithful, fruitful Christian living. So today's very important. We'll take a couple weeks to cover all this. It'll be a two-part sermon. Next week, we'll do the second part, which will really be the implications of how do we deal with this as a church, as a body, as a community, as people who love each other, when it gets a little bit messy. Because hearing from the Spirit can be messy after all, because none of us are infallible. And it's challenging to do so. And sometimes we make mistakes and we need to be held accountable. And we need to hold each other accountable. And we journey through that together in an atmosphere of love and trust. So we'll talk about that next week. But this morning we'll get started on being led by the Spirit. You're in Acts chapter 8. We'll get there in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this book that's on our laps and on this pulpit this morning. We can open this up and find the true word of God. We are so thankful for that. We are so thankful that we are not a people that need to make up what it looks like to do the Christian life. We don't need to just wing it. You clearly speak to us. You revealed yourself in your word. Thank you for it, God. Thank you that your word is living and it's active. We don't just read and study it. It reads and studies us. And your Holy Spirit works through your holy word to literally change our lives. And we want to be transformed people. We want to be people of Jesus who are full of the Holy Spirit, moving in the power of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, living faithful and fruitful lives that exalt Christ and grow in holiness and engage the world in mission. We need help for these things, Lord. We would admit that we are a people who are easily distracted, often beset by sin. We sin way more than we want to. And so we just need help with this stuff. So we ask that you would please speak to us. And Lord, I would submit myself to you. My my thought, my thoughts, my, my mouth, my words, my tongue, my notes, I would submit these to you. And ask that you would please anoint me to communicate your truth in a way that brings glory to Jesus and helps your people. Please, Lord, do that. I ask for clarity of mind and ease of speech. And we ask that you would, as a church now, give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. We ask these things together. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, in our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we have been drawing example from the life of Jesus for what the life of the believer ought to look like. We saw in Luke chapter 3 that when Jesus was baptized in water by John the Baptist, that the Holy Spirit came upon him at that time. And the result was that he was full of the Holy Spirit, we read in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4 verse 1. And that he began to minister in the power of the Spirit in the region of Galilee. And then we learned last week that Jesus was also anointed by the Holy Spirit for the mission 
that he was to fulfill. And now very importantly, we must understand that Jesus had not only the spirit upon him, filling him, anointing him, moving in the power of it, but he was also led by the Holy Spirit. Again, Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and he was led by the Spirit. If you read the gospel accounts, it's very evident that Jesus did what the Father wanted him to do. He was led by the Spirit in the will of the Father. Jesus only did what the Father wanted him to do, John chapter five. Jesus only said, what the Father wanted him to say, John chapter 12. And Jesus did these things and said these things when the Father wanted him to. So Jesus was led by the Spirit to do the will of the Father. That's the example for our life. Now, why? Why, why was Christ led by the Spirit? Well, there's multitudinous reasons for that, but here's an underpinning, an important one. It was because of love. Jesus says in John 5, for the father loves the son, speaking of himself, and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said that it was because of love that the Father revealed to Christ in his earthly ministry what he was doing. And that it was because of love that the Son in his earthly ministry endeavored to obey the will of the Father. This being led by the Spirit thing is a love thing. It has to do with the fact that we are loved by God and we love God. By necessity, if you are saying, I want to be led by the Spirit, you are saying, I want to accomplish the will of God. That is what the Spirit will lead us in. If you're saying, I want to be Spirit-led, you're saying, I want to do the will of God. Why would we ever want to do the will of God? Because He loves us and we love Him. The Father loves you. That is foundational for this leading of the Spirit thing. It is a love thing. Part of what we realize in his love for us is that he cares about every detail of our lives. He really does. He formed you in your mother's womb. He's numbered the hairs upon your head. He knows your comings and your goings. He's intimately and infinitely concerned with your life. And he wants to lead you in your life. Now he wants to lead you in a certain way. He wants to lead you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For his namesake. That means that this thing of being led by the Spirit is not only a love thing, it's also a glory thing. It's got to do with the fact that God loves you, but it's got to do with God being glorified in our lives. So when we're saying, I want to be led by the Spirit, we're saying, I want to obey the will of God for my life because he loves me and I love him and I want to see him glorified through the way that I live. Jesus said, the Father loves you dearly. First John says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And in light of that, Andrew Murray said this, the most precious gift of the Father's love in Christ is the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and lead us. See, it's a gift, the Father's love and for his glory, 
that we would be led by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit is the agent of the Father's work in the life of the believer, in the church, and in the world. Spirit is the agent of the Father's work. So we can expect to be led by the Spirit. Christ said this explicitly in John 16. He said, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. And he will tell you about the future. He will bring glory to me by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Spirit is the agent of the Father's will and the Son's will, working it in the life of the world, the church, and the believer. Galatians 5 tells us that we will be led by the Spirit. Verse 18 says that the Holy Spirit, or verse 16, excuse me, says the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit gives us good desires, verse 17. The Holy Spirit directs us, verse 18. The Holy Spirit produces good things in us, verse 22 of Galatians 5. And the Holy Spirit leads us. And then Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Because you are the beloved sons and daughters of God, there is an expectancy in the life of the believer for the Father to lead us. And this is what Scripture says. This is a clear testimony of the Bible that we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Father wants to do that because he loves you and for his glory. Now, not everybody would agree with that concept, that the Spirit leads us in our lives today, that he gives us revelation for the particular things that we are experiencing or will experience. And there are theological arguments there, but I would simply say this in all humility and love. If you don't believe that the Spirit of God leads the children of God in the particulars of their life, you have a strange God who is divorced from Scripture in all humility. Because what we see from beginning to end is God who is anxious to speak to and to lead those whom he loves. He has not left us alone. He's not abandoned us as orphans. But we are the beloved of God. He cannot restrain himself from speaking into our lives. This is, of course, a testimony of the book of Acts as it pertains to the birth of the church and the growth of the church and God's people. So in the book of Acts, we see the same progression in the church that we saw in the life of Jesus. The Spirit comes upon them. They are filled with the Spirit. They begin to minister and move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they are led by the Holy Spirit. So let's see a few vignettes where people are being led by the Spirit in the book of Acts. We'll just kind of jump into the middle of the story. We don't have to get the whole thing. I just want you to catch a few key phrases. Acts chapter 8, starting verse 26 the example of Philip. Acts 8, 26 says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said 
to fill up. Go up and join this chariot. The Spirit said to fill up. There's a guy, he's gone to Jerusalem, he wanted to worship, he's leaving, he's reading the prophet Isaiah, he's trying to figure out what, what is this whole thing about? And God is saying, I love that guy who's on that chariot, who's leaving Jerusalem. He probably didn't have the experience that he wanted in Jerusalem because he's a eunuch, he wasn't permitted into the temple courts. And now he's trying to figure it out from the prophet Isaiah. I want him to know about my love. Philip, that chariot, you go right now. And Philip runs up alongside the chariot and he's running and says, do you understand what you're reading? The guy's like, no, not at all. (laughs) Philip goes up, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to him from the book of Isaiah. He repents, gets saved, crawls down out of the chariot into a puddle, is baptized. The spirit told Philip. There's an example of an individual being led by the Spirit in a profound way. Let's look at an example of the whole church now being led by the Spirit in a profound way. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Just as we saw with the filling of the Holy Spirit that there are individual and corporate fillings, so there is with the leading of the Spirit. Individuals are led and a whole church could be led. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaeum, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord, worshiping, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I've called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So the church is together in Antioch. They're praying, they're worshiping, they're fasting. They're like going for it. And the Spirit speaks to them, speaks to all of them and says, these two guys that are in your midst right now, I've got a special mission for them. I want you to set them apart, lay hands on them, pray for them, send them out. But the Spirit spoke to the whole congregation, speaks to individuals, speaks to churches, and speaks to little pockets of people. Turn now to Luke chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 16, written by Luke. Acts chapter 16. And here we see Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke all together on a little mission trip. Okay, so this is like you and your buddies, or this is like you and your calm group, or whoever you're doing life with, being spoken to by the Spirit. Acts chapter 16, Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas on a mission trip. We start reading in verse 6. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been, look at this phrase, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And look at this, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, we immediately sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here we have an example of the Spirit saying, don't go here. Don't do that. And then through a vision, this is what I want you to do. And speaking to a group of people, 
Now let's look at one more example, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul is a little further down the road. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Stops in a place called Miletus. He calls for the elders from the church of Ephesus. Has a little meeting with them. He's kind of charging them. It's the last time he'll be with them. And they want to know what he's up to, what he's going to do. And he says in verse 22 of Acts 20. He says, and now behold, bound in the spirit. I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Accept that. The Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions wait for me. Okay. There's good news and there's bad news. Here's the good news. The good news is that we see in Scripture that the Spirit of God leads the people of God. And particularly so. Right in detail. Philip, that chariot, go talk to him right now. Right? Paul, Jerusalem, that's where you're going. It's going to be tough, man. It's not going to be easy. Church in Antioch, these two guys, Paul and Barnabas, separate them out. Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas, don't go here. I want you to go here. It's very clear in the Bible. God's spirit leads God's people. That's the good news. Now for the bad news. It is very unclear in the Bible as to how. We aren't given a lot of details. The spirit said, go to that chariot. The spirit said, don't go to that place. Don't go there. Go here. The spirit said, these two guys Paul was bound in the spirit. What what does that mean? We aren't given the details of what that looks like. Acts 8, the spirit said to Philip. Acts 10, the spirit said to Peter. Acts 11, Peter said to the church in Jerusalem, the spirit told me. Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said. Acts 16, they were forbidden by the spirit. Jesus, the spirit of Jesus didn't permit them. There was a vision. They said, God has called us. Paul says, I'm bound in the spirit. The The spirit solemnly testifies to me. That's it. Okay, so here's the question. How does that work out? What does that mean? When it says the Spirit said, does that mean like there was an audible voice that Philip heard, that Paul heard? Was it an impression? When Paul says, I'm bound in the Spirit, was he really bound? Were there ropes on his wrist that the Holy Spirit put there? When it says the Spirit forbid them to go into this region, how did that work out? Was there like a sign that says, Holy Spirit says, no, don't go. Was it audible? Was it some visual sign? Was it an impression? Was it some inescapable thought? We're not exactly told. Here's where it gets a little dicey. So how are we to think about this? I I, I will say this. The way that the Spirit communicates to each one of us is as unique as each one of us. You see, he's your your heavenly father who desperately loves you. As I said earlier, he formed you in your mother's womb. He's numbered the hairs upon your head. He knows how you need to hear him. He knows how to communicate to you. 
He speaks your language, if you will. Have you ever heard anybody explaining to you like, oh yeah, God told me. And they use language like, are you sure that's not you? Like a lot of times I'll be talking to Pastor G and you know, what's going on? I'll be like, oh man, God told me. And God's like, dude, you can't do that. You got to do this. And he's like, God said, dude. <laughs> yeah, I think when he speaks to me, God says, dude, it's not an audible thing. The point is you are the unique, beloved child of God and he knows what you need to hear and how you need to hear it. Any, any good father is careful with that. Any good father who has multiple kids doesn't speak to them the same all the time. Any good friend is mindful of that. I have a friend who's an introvert. I got, I got to really think about how I communicate to them in tough situations. I got other friends who are extroverts and I just punch them in the face and that's enough. <laughs> Even we on a human level give great thought to how we communicate to one another. I don't communicate to my friends the same way I communicate to my wife, right? I don't communicate to my son the same way that I communicate to the guys that I go dirt biking with. You are unique and precious before God. There is a way that he is wanting to speak to you. It is mysterious. It is ethereal. It is wonderful and deep. It is an art, not a science. It is a lifelong endeavor to learn to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. So what is it? Is it an audible thing or is it an impression? Is it a thought? Well, it might be any one of those things at a certain time. I myself have, I don't think, ever heard the audible voice of God. But I know when God speaks to me. And for me, it's usually one of two ways. It's either like this impression, I would call it. If I were to feel it somewhere, I feel it in my chest. It's like this impression that I just know what I'm supposed to do. Okay, that's one way. The other way is that there'll be this, this thought that I can't escape. Okay, it wasn't a thought by way of deduction. I wasn't sitting through reasoning through a scenario and then said, I know what I ought to do. It's this. It was just there. Doesn't always make perfect sense, but it's just this thought that I can't escape that I, I know that that's the will of God. Let me give you an example. Back in... Uh, late 2002, early 2003, my wife and I were at the family cabin. My parents own a cabin in Montana, Idaho, right on the border, right outside of West Yellowstone. And uh, we go out there sometimes on vacations together. And one morning I woke up next to my wife and I literally rolled over and looked at her and said, we're supposed to start a church in Carpinteria. And she went, I know. And we were like, oh, how do we know? I don't know. But we absolutely knew that's what we were supposed to do. Now, it wasn't out of the blue. There were circumstances, right? I'd been living in carpentry, born and raised in carpentry. I'd been ministering in carpentry, doing some preachings. I had other offers to do other things at other churches. There was all sorts of stuff. There were lots of possibilities and options and opportunities. There were all sorts of circumstances. None of them were definitive. 
We were very open to moving out of carpentry. We had offers uh, out of the area to go do ministry, all, all sorts of different stuff. Could have taken over the family business. All I know is that one morning I woke up and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, we need to start a church in Carpinteria. And my bride agreed. It's just this impression. It was inescapable. It wasn't audible, but it might as well have been audible. It might as well have been the earth thundering with the voice of God. It was that clear. Got out of bed, called Pastor G and said, Pastor G, God just spoke to Kate and I. We're supposed to start a church in Carpentry. And he's all, I know. <laughs> I'm in, bro. And it was just like one of those Holy Spirit moment type of things. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you another example from my life. Okay, this is the number one area where people want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's the number one place that they're looking for this. Who am I going to date and marry? In over 15 years of being a pastor, that is the number one question that I've heard and the number one way that I've heard people claim the leading of the Holy Spirit is when it has to do with the opposite sex. <laughs> Without a doubt. More than church planning, more than preaching the gospel, more than opposite sex. So I was dating Kate and we had been dating for, you're really enjoying this, aren't you? <laughs> this is obviously the part of the sermon they wanted to get to. <laughs> I had been dating Kate and we had been dating for some time. And uh, I was starting to feel like, wow, maybe, you know, maybe this is the girl I'm going to marry. And so I went to my father for advice. I said, dad, I just don't know, like if Kate's for sure the right one and there's, you know, these things and I have these questions and I just don't know. And uh, I was expecting my dad to give a great answer. And my dad said this, son, one morning you'll just wake up and you'll know. <laughs> You're not helping anybody. I want like three points why Kate is the girl. I want like 20 points why none of this other stuff matters. Like I wanted something more tangible. Son, you'll just know. I was like, thanks dad. Last time I ever asked you anything. <laughs> and a few months later, I woke up one morning and I just knew. And it was the spirit and nothing else Mattered. Kate, listen to me, guys. Listen. <laughs> it, th there were no issues of like vocation. There were no issues of money. Okay, there were no issues of other people. There was no questions about the future. All I knew that morning is I want to wake up next to that woman for the rest of my life. It wasn't an audible voice, but it might as well have been. incredibly unhelpful other than to say this, God's Holy Spirit wants to lead God's precious people in the details of their lives because he loves you and he's concerned about his glory and he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And it isn't a simple 
three-point thing. As I was preparing for the sermon, I was talking to people in the body about it, asking for help and, and input. Everybody said this, okay, Pastor Brent, just make it super practical. Just make it really practical. Like tell us exactly how to hear from the Holy Spirit. That's all you should do. I, I have no idea how to hear from the Holy Spirit. I know that I hear from the Spirit. I know you hear from the Spirit. But if I could write a practical guide, I would sell millions of that book. Nobody buys my books. I don't know those kind of things. <laughs> it's not that cut and dry. There is a place in which we have to confess it is ethereal, it is mysterious, it is spiritual. Okay, now, there is where people get nervous, right? Certain of our brethren get real nervous about that. Next week, we'll talk about some of the messiness of that and how to sort through that. But because it is all these things, a feeling, an impression, a voice, a sense, a thought, doesn't mean that it's mutually exclusive from some practicalities. There are some practicalities. Number one, the Holy Spirit not only has a ministry of leading us and guiding us, but the Holy Spirit has a ministry of teaching us. It primarily has to do with teaching us the truth of the Word of God. And this generally precedes the Holy Spirit leading us. Okay? Before Jesus talked about the Spirit guiding us in all things, he talked about the Holy Spirit teaching us about his word. John chapter 14, Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. So we generally understand this teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit as having to do with making clear the word of God, the revealed truth of God in the word. The guiding or leading work of the Holy Spirit is then the application of the Word of God to the particular situations of our life. Right? Jesus said, John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you about the future. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us about the Word, and we need the Holy Spirit to tell us about the future because there's a lot of stuff that isn't in the Word. Right? Nowhere in the Bible did it say Mary Kate. Didn't say that. It doesn't say your chick's name in the Bible unless it's like <laughs> funny Bible name. <laughs> it doesn't tell us which job to take. Right? It doesn't tell us which city we should live in. It doesn't give us all these particulars, but the Spirit does want to lead us in these things. I would say that the Spirit wants to lead us more than we're willing to be led. I would say that God cares more than we care about these sorts of things. But it starts with the teaching ministry, the Word of God, and then the guiding ministry of the Spirit. Now, the other practicality is this. To be led by the Spirit requires a willingness to surrender to His will and be convicted by Him of sin. Right? If you're saying, I want to be led by the Spirit, let me tell you what you're saying on the back end. You are saying, I'm willing to submit to the will of God and I'm willing to be convicted of and repent of sin. If you're not willing to do those two things and you're not willing to be led because the Spirit is going to lead you in the will of God 
and in righteousness, holy living, paths of righteousness for his namesake. Philippians 2 speaks about this. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. Work out the implications of it with fear and trembling, reverence before God. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's saying that God's spirit is in us, creating in us the desire to do God's desires and giving us the unction to do the work of God. Next verse says, so do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world who hold fast to the word of God. Look at Romans 12, one and two. New Living Translation this time, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to want to follow God's will, to do the things that God wants to do, to think the thoughts that God would have us think. Be renewed, be transformed rather by the renewing of your mind. Now what this means is that we give ourselves to spiritual growth. Okay? Being spiritually led means giving careful attention to spiritual growth, which means being faithful with our spiritual lives. Let me tell you exactly what that means. Number one, that means that you give yourself to reading and studying the word of God. If over the last 10 years that I have pastored this church, you've heard me say to do anything, it is to read your Bible. It is a living, active word of God. By the work of the Holy Spirit, it renews our minds and then our lives are transformed and we are called to be transformed people. Don't tell me you desperately want to be led by the Spirit, but you don't spend regular time in the Word. Not working. Not working. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do anything contrary to His Word. Don't tell me you know the Holy Spirit is leading you when you don't know the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will never lead us to do anything that isn't consistent with the Word of God. A large way in which the Holy Spirit leads us is in the Word of God, through the Word of God. As it forms character, that brother's excited about that. This area over on my right is just alive this morning. This will be fun for the other campuses next week. Watch this. Hey, other campuses, can I get an amen? They're doing it right now. See, they're excited about it. If 
we want to be led by the Spirit, we have to commit ourselves to being immersed and saturated in the Word of God. Secondly, we must commit ourselves to the practice of prayer. Knowing that prayer is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And that to a large degree, God will lead us in our lives, convict us of our sins, reveal the word of God to us as we are practicing prayer, as we spend time talking to God. Now let me just say the third thing about that, okay? If we want to be led by the Spirit, we need to grow in spiritual things, which means being faithful with spiritual practices, reading the Bible, praying, and this. Committing ourselves to quiet, undistracted, unhurried time with God. We have to commit ourselves. We have to make room in our lives to be with Jesus. To put ourselves in the place where we can begin to hear from the Spirit. Why? Because we're blocking out the busyness of the world, all the other competing voices, everything else that wants to grab our attention and we're putting our attention on the God who loves us and wants to lead us. That's the place of growth. That's the place of hearing from the Lord. It doesn't mean that we only hear from the Lord in, in, in times of unhurried quietness, but if we don't have those times, we may never hear from the Lord because this is where the inner life is cultivated in intimacy with Christ. I'll tell you, a secret. Through the years, the number one place without question every day, including today where I hear from the Lord, is in the shower. Why is that? When I need to hear from God, I take a shower. I'm not kidding you. In the middle of sermon preparation, I take a shower. When I'm facing tough stuff in life, I'm like, I'm going to go take a shower. Why is that? It is one of the few moments in life where we are unhurried and undistracted. Where God can actually get our attention. Let me tell you why else I think that God is able to speak to us in places like that because it's one of the few times in life where we don't have a device in our hands. I think that if we want to be a people who hear from God, we're going to have to be a people who spend a little less time with our devices. That we would even make room in our lives for the Spirit to speak, for the Spirit to lead us. We're in a culture now where there's, there's very little room. You watch a group of people, right? Unless they're doing something active, the moment there's a quiet spot, <laughs> out comes the iPhone, checking the status update, right? We leave very little quiet spots in our life. We get in the car, we turn on the stereo. We get home, we turn on the TV. We sit on the couch, we pull and open our laptop. We are living in a culture which is vehemently opposed to quietness. And I think that God is more willing to speak to us than we're willing to listen we just very seldom make room in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives to listen to the voice of God. I'll, 
I'll tell you, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, other than marrying Kate, was getting rid of my TV. 1995, man. Got rid of that dang thing. Never got another one. Now, TV wasn't the problem. I'm the problem. iPhones and iPads and laptops aren't the problem. We're the problem. But if we want to be a people who hear from God, we need to be a people who are willing to make some space in our lives and not be so traumatically distracted. That's not just a stimulation issue. That's also a heart issue. But all of those distractions keep us from quieting ourselves and hearing from God. God will also speak to you spontaneously in the busyness of the day, in the midst of an email, in the midst of a status update, when you're going down the road, when you're listening to the radio, when you're in a restaurant, when you're in a conversation. He'll speak to you at those times. But seldom do we have the ears to hear if we aren't cultivating the inner life through the word of God, prayer, and unhurried, undistracted time with Jesus. One last thing I'll say, one last spiritual practice, and that's repentance. We often want God to speak to us about who's the girl, who's the guy, what's the job, which school, what's the ministry, and yet we have not already dealt with the ways that the Spirit is convicting us. I think it's just a little bit arrogant of us to ignore the Spirit in certain areas and ask Him to speak to us in others. In other words, the sin issues that he wants to deal with in our life. Listen to what Andrew Murray says. He, he says this, Let each one of you who will be led by the Spirit begin by giving his or herself to be led of the Word of God as far as they know it. Begin at the beginning. Obey the commandments. You see, the leading of the Spirit is inseparable from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is leading us. He's always going to be leading us in repentance. Why? God wants to lead us in paths of righteousness for his namesake and his glory. So we have an opportunity to do that this morning as we're finished. As we begin to worship and stuff, there's, there's time, undistracted, unhurried time in the presence of God. To say, wow, God, how have you already been leading me that I've been just ignoring, that I haven't been listening to? Areas where I need to repent where I'm insisting on my own will. And then, Lord, what, how, how do you want to lead me in these other ways? I think we should be bold to come before the Lord this morning and say, Lord, here's where I need to hear from you. Do it knowing that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's able to speak to you. And then recognize your uniqueness. You know you. You know what is going to put you in a place to hear from God. It might be the carpets up here. It might be just in your chair. It might be standing with your hands raised. It might be when you go home going on a walk. It might be that you hear from God when you're surfing, like me. It might be that you need to go home and take a shower. <laughs> you know you and God knows you. How do you need to hear from God? What's, what's, how do you position your life to do that? Let's work on that this week and we'll work on that right now. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us and reveals to us. Thank you that you're willing to guide us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us faith, that we'd be expectant. We pray that you give us humility, that we'd be submitted and repentant. We pray that you give us ears 
that we would hear and that you'd steady our feet to walk the course in the things you're calling us to do. Teach us to hear from you, Lord. We want our lives to be more like the book of Acts. We want to hear the Spirit say what to do for the glory of Jesus. Help us with these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.